This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6 a.m. on Monday, the 25th of July. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wang Xiaoning and Philip C. Good morning, good morning. Start Very of good the morning. new week. Very good morning. It's been raining, isn't it, over the weekend? It has. I have to say every evening without fail for the past Three days, I would say. It's just been raining torrentially. Exactly. and But it's cooling weather when you wake up in the morning. Yes, there are the pros to that, indeed. <laughs> but if any of you have afternoon activities, I do feel that you may have been rained out over the weekend. Or your washing got drenched, like oh. my mum's washing totally got drenched. So, you know, all back to square one again this morning. Pretty much, pretty much. It is the last day of... Uh, not the last day, I'm sorry. It's the last week of July. We're heading into August next week. Uh, but in any case, to kick off the... The last week of July, we have a lot of interesting conversations this morning. Uh, beginning at 7.15, Malaysia remains in Tier 3 in the U.S. State Department's Annual Trafficking in Persons Report 2022. We're going to speak to migrants' rights activist and Adrian Pereira and ask him why we continue to rank at the bottom on this really important issue. I think the report said that there was no progress at all, right, on the Malaysian front. And at 7.30, 7.30 sorry, thousands of Chinese homebuyers are boycotting their mortgage payments, putting their entire economy at risk. We dissect the reasons behind the current crisis with, with economist Gary Ng. And you know the Chinese property market, so many conversations taking place recently, even in the H newspaper conversations and coverage on that. And we saw news overnight that the Evergrande leadership has also had a bit of a restructuring there. Well, don't forget that it does account for 25% of the country's GDP. So it's a really important economic sector. And it's not the first time this sector has blown up, guys. It did actually mm-hmm. blow up in 2004, 2005. It's just that it's very emotive because people's net wealth is so much tied to property. Even here in Malaysia, very similar. Uh, And then at 7.45, we're going to be talking about why is the government not in favour of compulsory voting? We discuss the pros and cons of this with Kira Yusri, co-founder of Undi18. All right, we're going to have all this and more today on The Morning Run. So stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was Jackson Brown with Somebody's Baby. You're listening to The Morning Run with Philip C. Wong Xiaoning and myself, Shazana Mokdar. 6.06am on Monday, the 25th of July. So we're kick-starting the week with a PSA of sorts, and that is to check in on your friends. The University of Pittsburgh ran a series of 13 experiments involving more than 5,900 participants to get a sense of how good people are at guessing how much friends value being reached out to and what kinds of interactions are the most powerful. And the results showed that casually reaching out to people in our social circles means far more than we realize. And it doesn't even have to be extravagant or time-consuming interactions. The bar for reaching out was kept really low, like a brief call, a text or email, or a small gift of cookies or a plant. And I'm imagining those little succulent plants and little pots that you can get by the roadside. Which I will kill in a second. But the point is, uh, checking in means something. So I wanted to ask yeah. the both of you, how good are you with checking in on people? And conversely, how do you feel about people who, I guess, reach out to you to say hi? I I try, but I'm not necessarily very good at it. I used to do it quite a bit during the pandemic, especially, mm. because, you know, you haven't seen them for such a long time. So you do check in with them. I, I don't see it reciprocate. So then after a while, it kind of let it die down. So for me, checking in usually... 
I don't do it spontaneously, unfortunately. So I do it like when someone is sick or when, let's say, their, their parents pass away. Then I check in, not immediately, but maybe a week, two weeks down the road. Because usually that's when loneliness really kicks in, right? Not immediately because you're surrounded by all your loved ones still. So that's what I do. I check in maybe two weeks, three weeks when it's a clear event. So it's not as spontaneous as what the article mentions here. Mm. I have to say, I have a rather suspicious nature. So if I were to ever hear from someone, say I haven't heard from them for What's three, four agenda? years, and they come to me and say, oh, hi, how are you? And I'm like, are you sell- Are you wanting to sell me insurance? Are you trying to <laughs> sell me an MLM yeah, product? You know, like, what is this all about? So, <laughs> like some sort yes, of, yeah. Yes, yes. I, I would say I'm a little bit like you. Okay, I okay. you, you asked, right? How good am I at catching up with people? Uh, I will give myself a C plus, which is terrible. I'm terrible. I, I mm. always feel awkward doing it because I always wonder: Do I am I intruding? Well, it's also that I, I share Shah's one with agenda because in the past, you know, my previous job, I would be asked about my tickets, flight tickets, loyalty points. Can I refresh that? Oh, I get that a lot. Shall right? we start now, Philip? So, <laughs> and that was like essentially, you know, out of two years not speaking to you. That that for me, it's a bit of a disconcerting in my okay, view. Okay, so now we know that we shouldn't text you if you're having problems. Well, no, it's okay if you're a friend and yeah, you have yeah. a problem, right? But it's like after two, three years and it's then suddenly random. coming to you. Hey, my booking. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that I think it's a bit of a problem for me. So the research um, said that actually all these, I, I think people have reasons for not reaching out. And some of them is like you said, you don't want to intrude or you don't think people will be happy to hear from you. But at least based on this study, um, they said that actually uh, the people who, who were reached out to, the reci- recipient, appreciated these small messages a lot more than we realized. So really the, I guess, fear or concerns that this wouldn't be well received was really on the part of the sender. Yeah. And then sometimes they were maybe over, it was overstretched, you know, it wasn't warranted as much. They, they said that um, this negati- negativity bias, uh, they said it was the liking gap or uh, the tendency to underestimate how well liked uh, people are. And, and hence that stopped you from um, reaching out. But the point is, you know, maybe doing it is, is actually is a good thing. The, the idea is, you know, connect rather than not. I think I think it is very good. I, I mean, as I was giving an example, like during the pandemic, we really don't know what the other person's mm. situation is. So reaching out spontaneously, I think does help. And you're right, you know, I think these nuggets of, I always find it's like nuggets of gold that you see at the part of the rainbow that suddenly just shower on you unexpectedly. That's fortitude and I guess luck in a sense, right? Mm, mm. Mm. Okay, so s- simply put, don't overthink these things, right? When you think about it. If you're the one trying to send out these messages, don't worry about what people will think of it. Just do it. And uh, as long as it comes from a good place, which is because you care about them or you've been thinking about them, uh, how can it be a bad thing? Tell us what you think. You know, how good are you at staying in touch or checking in with friends? And conversely, how do you feel when you receive these check-in messages? Are they a good thing? Are they a bad thing? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into some messages. We'll come back after with a look at TikTok and whether it's a threat to journalism. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Arcade Fire with Ready to Start, and we hope you're ready to start the working week. It's Monday, the 25th of July. We're the morning run. I'm Shazana with Philip and Xiao Ning. 
Now, UK findings from the Reuters Institute Digital News Report 2022 is causing some hand-wringing in the media fraternity, it seems. The annual survey showed that 23 million people use TikTok every month and that TikTok is becoming the fastest-growing source of news for adults. So this has led to concerns that this heralds the death of traditional journalism. Do you think these fears are warranted? What do you think? Is this the same thing as Twitter and Facebook five, six, seven years? <laughs> ago it's just a different format and and in the end traditional media is still around yeah so yes and no is the answer right yes i think the bigger issue is that where's the content coming from for twitter right it's user generated content same then, with tiktok same with tiktok same with um facebook. twitter same with facebook right it's just that tiktok is shorter form it's a video form of twitter so I, are we over-exaggerating the death and demise of traditional media again? Uh, a little bit. Um, what's interesting is that even in new media, the, the formats are changing itself, right? The content in terms of what people like, the duration, that has also changed. It looks like media as an industry is constantly evolving and that to me is the fascinating bit, right? Yeah, that's a fascinating bit. The only thing that worries me again, like what we see in Facebook, is that it, it generates a certain view. Mm. Uh, and that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges with TikTok. You get into this funnel again of having specific biases and being reinforced by these biases again. Yes. And everything's so, because there's a duration, right? There's a fixed format. You can't have those videos for very long. So the information given to you is almost like short shots, nuggets without much analysis. And depth. Yeah, and depth. So is that necessarily good? I think it's okay. There's a place for it. So you, you can watch these TikTok videos. They are entertaining. People put a lot of effort into it, some of them, uh, worth watching. But I think it needs to be combined with other information uh, or news outlets. It cannot be the only thing you watch to get all your news. That's to me, is actually, I think, will create certain kind of almost maybe a, a blinkered view of the world because everything will be in what, 30 seconds, 20 seconds? You have videos up to three minutes on TikTok now. Okay. So they're slowly extending it. But the point is that's definitely the end user responsibility. I think you, us as uh, consumers of media, we need to make sure that our media consumption is varied. It comes from numerous sources, not just TikTok, but TikTok and print media, online media, yes. really the mm. whole gamut, right? But at the same time, I do think that media organizations themselves have a responsibility to pivot to the platforms that are getting the viewers and we know that a lot of young people are on TikTok. I'm not sure it's their responsibility but I think it's in their interest because if you really want to stay alive and you're talking about ADEX, advertising revenue, uh, that's where advertisers want to pay for now. They are willing to pay for eyeballs in TikTok, maybe less so for an advertisement in a newspaper. So it's about survival, right? So you need to do it. True. Absolutely, I do think so. At the same time, I, I feel that media... Uh, organizations, uh, if they want to be the source that people trust, their presence on these social media platforms are important because them being there, then they are disseminating the right or the truthful information. And I see a lot of media companies like Washington Post, they've managed to do that pivot quite effectively. Yes, they do crowdsource quite well these inputs. And I think one of the big distinctions now is that you're relying a lot on these uh, TikTokers, is that what you call them, reporting on the ground. And I think media has an evolving role that they 
perhaps will report less on the ground, but do more time on the analysis and the interpretation and to confirm and validate some of these things. So I think that's where, how do you interplay that? Because, you know, these people, these these, these TikTokers, again, I don't even know how you call them, uh, <laughs> essentially are really there, can explain and provide it on a on-ground situation. What does it mean and translate policy into action, really physically and tangibly? So now the question is, what do traditional media do? They make it more, they connect the dots, they analyze, they provide depth to it in, in totality. Yes, uh, I think there definitely is a role uh, for that. I think, okay, so if we rewind back, right, to let's say the early <coughs> days of social media, okay, to the early days of Facebook, this was all very strange, right? And it wasn't, it, and you know, and there was this question about, for me, can you trust all these information sources, you know, other than, let's say, the reliability of the New York Times or the Financial yeah. Times or even the local star, New Straits Times in Malaysia? I think now my think about all this is when you look at these TikTok videos, how much, how much uh, reliance should you have on this? Should it be treated almost like entertainment? A very good point. <laughs> so, for example, like Washington Post, mm. Comparing Washington Post's social media postings versus its web page, I'm always biased towards going to its web page yes, still sure. because I like how they display it's a pain, it's an overarching view and of I everything. Wonder, and also because when you look at the website, okay, or you look at, uh, you know, let's say the paper itself, you know an editor has gone through it, right? Yes. And it's probably been fact-checked. I'm just wondering, and I'm not saying that they don't fact-check, I'm just curious how much fact-checking goes behind these... TikTok videos done even by these uh, major news agencies. I mean, as a follower of the Washington Post on TikTok, you can definitely see that Washington Post TikTok is a whole different animal from yeah, yeah. their online coverage, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. The point is they're trying to appeal to a younger audience and maybe draw them to, hey, mm. t- check out this article that we've done for more information, but here's the gist of it. And I think they do that really well. I wonder what a conversion rate is, though. I, 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 that's a big question mark because I wonder if I'm, I'm going to, for these new users whether they're just going to stay on the social media or whether they're going to translate and migrate to the main web page because it's a very look, different look and feel like as you say right it's nuggets it's very much driven to attract your attention has a certain bias but when you go to the main page it's overarching and shows everything and the other thing is can you translate let's say the brand the mandate the ethos of that media organisation and what it stands for in a manner that it reflects well on these TikTok videos mm. because you have to admit some TikTok videos look a bit like for fun how do you still translate well you know how does it like when you watch this content you know it is a Washington Post content you know it's a New York Times content I think that's the challenge for all these media organizations looking to migrate onto these platforms but again I suppose if we're to judge perhaps we're not we're not the main um, I guess we're not the demographic for that platform yeah uh, I think so. we are I think everyone <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I don't think we should pigeonhole oh this is definitely for the young know, because everyone watches different absolutely like, yeah. but from what you were saying it's like then you're taking sort of your own kind of values and likes no, and dislikes to like the social even, okay, media platform so let's say BFM okay yeah, let's yeah. use us as an example we are on social media you can catch us on uh, Instagram videos we do reels right do you like our reels tell us what you think do you like yeah. our reels do you like our social media posts do you find them useful do you find that this is a way for you to know what's going on in the station and then do you as a result watch these reels and then listen to us live a classic example was the recent trump uh 
prep, uh, you know, behind the scenes recording of his presidential, where he announced about the election that it was all over and such. Right? It was very interesting how different social media interpreted it and put a filter to it. And I think that's a reflection of the brand of each social media platform that they come through, right? Like someone like Washington Post or Bloomberg, they wouldn't put too much filter to it. It would just be news reporting. But you will see other sites, I think, try to add more color or add their bias to it. I think that's where it's very interesting then. Well, tell us what you think. Where is your preferred place to get your news consumption from? Do you think that social media platforms like TikTok herald the death of traditional journalism? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's coming up to 6.25 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. We'll come back after that with a look at global headlines. Taking you to the news is Knock on Wood by Eddie Floyd, BFM 89.9. That was Silk Sonic with Skate. You are listening to The Morning Run. I hope so. And we're skating into the Monday (laughs) work week. We're The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. That was Philip C. We also have Wong Xiaoning in studio with us. 6.39, Monday the 25th of July. Uh, We do have a message coming in on WhatsApp uh, based on a conversation that we had earlier about news consumption and where you get your news from. Uh, We have this listener who WhatsApped in saying, audio is my preferred way of news because I can listen to it while I'm doing chores in the car while continuing and it's a great way to teach my kids new words and discuss topics together. And uh, Roberto also tweeted in he has an interesting point of view which I agree so he relies on social media for quick notes and if a story looks interesting he he goes one step further he does his own research Uh, and he says for established media the key is trust even today fact checking is mainly done there um, more than now, more now than ever, consumers should be trained on media and information literacy. It's a very interesting point because like in mm. Facebook, right, so many things about how you verify the information that people post on Facebook. You don't see that happening yet on TikTok. That's a big question. Do you no. see the verification taking place? Absolutely. Actually, the Washington Post has been very good at that in that they'll solicit people. Tell us what you're looking oh, at. I see. Let us know if there are any issues or videos that you see that ask, that you have questions on. Send them to us. We'll try to explain. But does, but does TikTok themselves do this Yeah, do they do their own self-verification? Uh, because that's the is, issue. Yeah, yeah, because that's what Facebook is supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. Well, talking about news that's been verified, uh, on the Star page, page 19 in Global News, 17,000 hit by monkeypox worldwide. Now, the World Health Organization has declared the monkeypox outbreak, which has nearly affected about 70,000 people in 74 countries, to be a global health emergency, the highest alert uh, alarm it can sound. That's right. I think that was the big news over the weekend. Uh, there's been a lot of... I guess people have been watching this, right? We've yeah. been hearing and talking about monkeypox. It's been in the headlines over the past month or so. Uh, the fact that it's gone to 74 countries, I suppose, is one of the reasons why it's been elevated to that level. I think there are only two other uh, diseases uh, with that level, and that's COVID-19 and, and polio. also polio. That's right. I think, But the thing is, it wasn't a unanimous decision because the committee of experts who met on Thursday were unable to reach a consensus. So it was up to WHO chief Tedros Adhanom Gabrius to basically make the announcement and call himself. I mean, I think it's important to note that there's still, I guess one of the reasons why they did this is also because there's really not that much information about it, but it's spreading. And so it's good to just to have all the medical authorities on alert so that it's also easier to coordinate resources and, and get action. Um, 
if and when it's needed. Um, in other news that came out over the weekend, I think uh, what was decided um, on Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia as well is pretty momentous in the sense that uh, they have agreed to allow grain exports out of Ukraine. Um, that was something that the UN Secretary General uh, lauded as a good, uh, you know, as a significant achievement, especially in this time where global food prices have been on the rise. But then just a day after that agreement exactly. was signed, we did see the port of Odessa was uh, bombed. Uh, so you wonder how will this agreement, can it actually be effectively implement, implemented? All sides blaming Russia essentially for signing the pact on one hand, on the other hand still, you know, uh, bombing these crucial uh, logistic points. Yeah, and then amazingly, Russia's foreign minister is actually uh, on a little tour to Africa. So he starts his trip in Egypt one day after this Russian strike. And I was listening to this interesting podcast on BBC, uh, how dependent Africa is on Ukraine and Russian wheat. So for example, Egypt, that's where they get most of their wheat from. At least 40% of all wheat from Africa actually comes from these two regions. And in the past, Russia has made these overtures to African leaders saying, look, we were never a colonial master, right? We're here to be your friends. <laughs> but after the invasion of Ukraine, the BBC says, can they still say that? You know, that's the question, right? And I think some African leaders are a little bit more nervous about Russia now because the invasion of their neighbour doesn't make it sound like they're not going to be a colonial master. I mean, it sets many precedents, I think. I, I, I agree. I think trying to paint the old picture of this colonial picture is a bit outdated in my view. The question really is, I think both of the question is, are we all going to resolve this supply chain crisis of food? And if you're going to you know, sign the deal and then later renege on the deal relatively fast, that's a big problem. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and hits a reputation structurally. Okay, talk about reputation. I'm going to do a bit of gutter press story here. This is from the Wall Street Journal and it's Sergey Brin. Remember him? Google's co-founder. Uh, this is according to the Washington, uh, sorry, Wall Street Journal. He has instructed his advisors to sell his personal investments in Elon Musk companies in recent months after apparently his wife had a brief affair with, uh, guess who? Who? Elon Musk. <laughs> And uh, so now they're heading for divorce, and apparently. So, wow, it looks like all the tech barons are closer than we think. Indeed. And Elon Musk has been in the headlines for all sorts of salacious reasons over this past month, uh, making waves in more than one space, not just through his companies, but also in his personal life. Um, yes, that's Elon Musk for you, a man of many uh, facets. Yeah. And then uh, very quickly, also Janet Yellen. Uh, she was uh, in a CNBC Meet the Press. Oh, so this, this is program which all of them turn up. And by the way, if any of our politicians would like to come on our show, we would love to have you. Anyone just, you can WhatsApp. <laughs> Or you can treat anyone. us. I mean, not anyone, but you know, yeah, anyone of importance. Shall I put it? Any VIPs? Let us know. Uh, but Janet Yellen says that she has expressed confidence in the Federal Reserve's fight against inflation. She doesn't see that the US is actually heading uh, into a broad recession because there is still full employment. Yeah, but you know, we, we've talked about this before, right? Full employment doesn't necessitate to recession. And it got me thinking, actually, in this day of age where we talk so much about flexibility, where you could restructure your jobs, is that really the right measure, right? Correlation between employment and recession going forward. That's in my mind. And going forward as well, aren't we having this debate about whether we should have an immediate, short, sharp recession versus a longer term, yeah. deeper, protracted recession? So is it a V or is it a U or the very worst, it could be an L-shaped recession, yes. right? Right? And I think what has happened is that COVID-19, with all the excess monetary supply, the traditional economic models theories may not hold true anymore. Who exactly. knows? 
Well, it's 6.45 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. We'll come back with more discussions on headlines, this time from the local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was the Brothers Johnson with Stomp. Earlier we heard Skate by Silk Sonic. So we've been skating and stomping our way into the new work week. We're the morning run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Philip C and Wong Xiaoning, 6.51 in the morning. We're taking a look at some of the local newspapers and portals. Tell me what's caught your eye this morning. Well, I'm looking at both newspapers, the Star, Biz and also the H Weekly. And both have articles covering our government debt. Uh, both showing different metrics though. If you look at the star base, it shows that our federal government debt to GDP ratio has been increasing from 50 over percent in 2017 and 2019 up to 63 percent in 2021. On the flip side, if you look on the H Weekly, another metric they look for is actually the percentage of revenue that's being that's being paid for interest payments. Yeah, in service tra- ratio. Service interest ratio, service right? Service ratio. And of course, that the headline there is we are far away from Sri Lanka because if you look at Sri Lanka's metric, it's seventy-one percent of interest payments as a percentage of revenue. For but Mal- we're in the top twenty-five percent. Yes, we are in the top twenty-five percent. Malaysia is at fifteen percent at the moment. That service ratio, but it's actually been increasing. If you look at two thousand and eight, we only had eight percent. So it's risen to fifteen point four percent in twenty twenty, and it's expected to go up to eighteen point four percent. But mm. the key headlines is that we are still far away from Sri Lanka's 71.4%. So we have, to, we have to do two things. Either we have to reduce our debt or basically we have to increase our GDP, right? So that the percentage comes down. Yeah. So I'm, I, I, these are the questions that actually we will, we will be asking Datuk Johan Marikan on Wednesday at the Breakfast Grill. He's the director of the budget from MOF. Uh, lots of questions I want to pose to him about the state of our economy, the health of our economy. What happens if we actually go into a recession? Do we have the fiscal space to climb ourselves out of one? Uh, and, you know, just basically this subsidies bill that we keep hearing about $77.7 billion, can we actually afford it? So do, you, do tune in. That's on Wednesday at 8 a.m. All right. And uh, meanwhile, in other headlines, can I just point out uh, a bit of a uh, discussion that was happening over the weekend regarding Malaysia's uh, ro- Malaysia's ranking in the uh, Transparency International Corruption Perception Index? I think there were some remarks by the MACC chief himself that appeared to just downplay this index and, and what it means. I think that has garnered a lot of backlash uh, from the public because it's not a good look when your uh, anti-corruption chief uh, appears to be little or dismiss um, an international uh, ranking of that sort. So I think uh, corruption should still be uh, the main, I think, um, what, what's that word? A goal to, to fight by the government. For sure. Uh, and then just a PSA. For, for all of those who are, you know, scrambling to get your passports a few months ago and then we heard all those horror stories, right? Queue up at the immigration department at four in the morning, wait seven hours, eight hours, and you actually manage to get an application. Don't forget to collect them, by the way, because uh, the Malay Mail has reported that those who have renewed their passports, I think these are for online guys, uh, online uh, applicants, they have been urged to collect the documents immediately to avoid it being disposed within 90 days. And apparently there are... Something like uh, 2,000 over passports waiting to be collected, 2,000 individuals who have yet to collect them. Well, personal story, my sister was trying to apply for her new passport, but the communication also has not been very clear-cut. You can actually send your online application. They will turn it around within 72 hours, three days. But sometimes the emails don't come through. So my sister didn't get the email to come and collect Ah, the passport. So maybe these 2,000 out of these 2,000 individuals, some people didn't know is ready. Exactly. Although actually they can turn around very fast. Okay, I think there's also uh, news coming out of um, the UNESCO, 
right? So this is Tase Chini. Uh, their biosphere reserve status from UNESCO is currently under scrutiny and its preliminary findings are not favourable. Well, just a bit of background. There are actually three biospheres in Malaysia. The first one, as you said, Taxichini in 2009. Then the Crocker Range at 2000, in 2014. And then most recently, the Penang Hill Biosphere was designated in 2021. So as you said, right, Taxichini 2019. In 13 years, this is I think the biggest challenge, right, about maintaining the natural ecosystem for all these wonderful biodiverse uh, locations in Malaysia. I mean, if we look at this um, world network of biosphere reserves, the idea is it exemplifies harmonious integration of people and nature for sustainable development through participatory dialogue, knowledge sharing, poverty reduction and human well-being improvements. So the fact that um, our, I guess, presence in this is being questioned now, I think it really does show what's been happening over the past 10 years in Tasiachini, or 20 years since we first joined in 2009, right? Mm. Uh, I think this really should be looked into by policymakers. I hope they're listening. And then very quickly, frankly speaking, in the Edge Weekly, asked a very good question. It's about Tabung Haji buying that property in London. Uh, guess what? Tabung Haji did never told us the price. So the Edge had to find out from the seller <laughs> who disclosed it because they're a listed company. So why didn't they just tell us what the price is? All right, that's our roundup of the local headlines this morning. We're coming up to 6.56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. News Bulletin. And when we come back, we're going to check out how global markets closed overnight, taking you to the news, the Black Keys with Tighten Up, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.